right, welcome to the conversation on the Young Turks. Uh, so we got a great guest for you guys today. Uh, he's Mehdi Hassani, senior columnist for The Intercept. Uh, he also does a podcast for The Intercept called Deconstructed, and he's the host of Upfront on Al Jazeera English. Uh, Mehdi, great to have you back on, brother. Thanks for having me on, Jenk. I hope you're safe and well and indoors. Uh, we're all good. We're all good. Thank you. Um, so... Uh, you wrote a piece about how uh, the Trump administration might be trying to sneak in a war with Iran uh, while we're not looking. So that's interesting. We're going to get to that in a second. Uh, but uh, today, uh, some folks are animated, I suppose as most days, um, uh, on whether Bernie should withdraw from the race. Uh, there's a recent story out about it. Uh, and uh, Anna and I talked about it on the show. We have our uh, take on it. Um, what's your take? Uh, many, uh, given it's a great the, question. The state of the yeah. Yeah. It's a great question. I don't know the answer, to be honest. I think, look, uh, if it was me, I would have pulled out because I don't see a path to victory. There's talk of him, uh, you know, looking at the Wisconsin result. And if he loses by more than 15 or 20 or 25 or whatever it is, that will, you know, push him to pull out. He's been making noises about pulling out in recent media interviews that he'd been doing. Um, you know, there's reports that Faiz Shaka, his campaign manager and others have said, pull out whereas others are saying stay in. I get the argument uh, for staying in because they want to have as many delegates as possible to influence the platform at this virtual convention uh, that might now be happening in the summer. But look, the, the fundamental problem I have with this argument, whether he stays in or stays out, is he had a long time to go after Joe Biden. And my problem with Bernie Sanders doing this campaign is he made it very clear he wasn't going to go after Joe Biden. He wasn't going to do what had to be done in order to win the nomination. And that means knock Biden down and keep him down. And neither he nor Elizabeth Warren did that. And Joe Biden managed to stay in the race on the, you know, on the margins. People wrote him off and fair play to him. He comes back and wins on Super Tuesday. But the problem is even at that debate, that last debate, the one debate we saw between Bernie and Biden, he pulled his punches. And I have a problem with that. Yeah, I think your analysis is spot on. So um, it. My my take on it is uh, there is a, a very small path to victory, but that path includes fire and ice. Uh, it includes uh, actually going after Biden, making the case uh, aggressively uh, for why you're the right candidate and he isn't. And and if you're talking about that, especially at this late date, you got to do things that Bernie's not willing to do. Uh, yeah. So uh, is Biden in mental decline? Certainly looks like it. Uh, so I have eyes, I have ears, I can see it. Uh, I'm not a medical expert. I can't know it for sure, but I'm really, really worried about it. Am I really worried about it? Uh, because of the primary, no, I'm really worried about it because the general, because the yeah. general election. Did you see uh, the, did you, did you see the Trump line over the weekend where, uh, they read out a tweet of Biden's and Trump just said, he didn't write that tweet. He has people writing it for him. He, he's not even watching that. If he did, he doesn't even understand what's going on. And the problem with that line of attack is, as shameless as it is, as gratuitous as it is, as hypocritical as it is, it resonates with some people because a lot of people say, mm, you know, we might hate Trump and he might be a hypocrite, but, you know, there's a little, it's like with Hillary Clinton. There was a little bit of truth to those vicious attacks that he launched on her. Obviously, they were over the top, but there was some truth to the idea that she was an establishment politician. She liked wars. She liked Wall Street. The fact that Trump is all of those things and worse is irrelevant. That's not how politics works. And you hear a lot of liberals saying, well, he can't accuse uh, Biden of being in mental decline. Look at his decline. That's not how it works, unfortunately. People aren't that fair. Yeah, second of all, uh, here's how it's going to go down. Uh, 
even if the Biden team was tough enough to then make the videos about how Trump says oranges instead of origins and how he thinks uh, wind causes cancer. And, you know, he was he started at mental decline and has only gone down. Um, but one, they won't be uh, as vicious as they need to be. Two, they'll never be as vicious as Trump. Three, your best case scenario is a tie where people go, great, our two choices are two older white guys in mental decline. Great. Yeah. Thank you, Democratic Party. We really appreciate it. Um, and uh, and, we, and it, we know that low turnout helps the Republicans. Yeah. So uh, are we going to lose? Uh, and I say we in this context. I'm a progressive. Uh, I'm going to vote against Trump. Uh, so has the Democratic Party made the same exact mistake as they did in 2016? And uh, do we now stand an excellent chance of losing to Donald Trump again? Uh, definitely stand an excellent chance of losing to Donald Trump. When you say we, I mean, I would use we much more broadly. Are decent human beings, are non-racist, non-fascists going to lose uh, in November to this racist, fascist, white nationalist? Uh, there's a lot at stake. He's an existential threat to American democracy and to minority communities in this country. Um, it does, you know, look at the polls. The polls suggest Joe Biden's going to win. Of course, the polls also suggested Hillary Clinton was going to win. So the polls are a static snapshot of where we are today. There's a long time to go. You know, a couple of months ago, if you and I are having this conversation, it would be a very different conversation. I wouldn't be sitting in my house having this conversation with you. So, you know, things change very fast. But one constant is that Biden does look like he's a little bit past it. He doesn't look like he has the same energy that he did have in the past. I mean, you talk about vicious ads and going after Trump. One of Biden's advisors anonymously briefed the press last week that, we can't attack too, Trump too hard right now. The American public doesn't want to see that. What? You don't want to attack the president right now who's literally getting Americans killed, who is handling this crisis in the worst possible way. If that is the attitude and mindset of Joe Biden, a guy who brags about working across the aisle, having Republican friends, uh, you know, calling Dick Cheney a great guy, giving eulogies at you know, racists' funerals, um, that is a, that's a problem. He, the only way he can win is, as you say, if he goes all out at Trump, takes advantage of all of Trump's weak spots. And I'll tell you what, the one change you have in 2016, and I wrote this piece over a year ago that Biden is Hillary 2.0, the one advantage he has is that Trump is a known quantity now in a way that he wasn't in 2016. And the second advantage he has is that he does seem to be doing better in the primaries, at least, with quote unquote white working class voters in the Rust Belt than Hillary Clinton did. They're going to shred him. Okay, so uh, last question on this. Um, at the end of the day, uh, I still have the refs as the number one problem. So you play a game, uh, and it's not fair to ask one side to be, you know, 20 points, 40, 50 points better than the other side, uh, when the refs call every call in one direction. So, um, and I say that in this context. So if Biden loses, as we are afraid he's going to, to Donald Trump, uh, the mainstream media, in my opinion, and I'm going to ask you, you're in the media. We're both not in mainstream media. You're at The Intercept. I'm at The Young Turks. So we're, it's independent media that tries to hold people accountable. We do this old school thing sometimes called reporting where we care about facts. Uh, but in the mainstream media, guaranteed that if Biden loses, they will not say, hey, Mehdi warned that he was uh, Hillary Clinton 2.0. Cenk warned uh, that uh, he's about the only candidate who could lose to Donald Trump. They'll say it was our fault because 
uh, we uh, critics dared to criticize establishment candidate five percent too much in the primaries. We warned about the iceberg of his mental decline. They'll say if it wasn't for you, the iceberg wouldn't exist. Uh, they'll say I, we're predicting it ahead of time. I predicted it ahead of time yep. last time. We did it. We're doing it again. So isn't the number one problem that the mainstream media is totally and utterly broken? And if they weren't broken, we wouldn't have these results. We might actually have a decent Democratic candidate. But if the mainstream media wasn't broken, we wouldn't have Donald Trump as president. I mean, I, I don't believe Trump could have been president had it not been for the, the ridiculously uh, fawning coverage, the free coverage, the nonstop rallies and uh, the lack of scrutiny that he got in 2015 and 2016. So for a start, you wouldn't have Trump. And then when it comes to the Democratic Party, you're right in terms of, you know, the accusations. And, you know, every time I point out a problem with Joe Biden on Twitter or anywhere else, the first response is, what about Bernie? And my point is, forget about Bernie. Bernie could pull out tomorrow, as you, as you and I just discussed. He might pull out tomorrow. Uh, if he pulls out, the argument won't be, what about Bernie? The argument is, there is a problem with this candidate, separate to Bernie Sanders, separate to anything else. And I've made it very clear. I would take Amy Klobuchar, Mayor Pete Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, I would take any of these quote-unquote centrists over Joe Biden. This is not about ideology anymore. Of course I prefer a more progressive candidate. Of course I'd have preferred a Warren or a Sanders. But the reality is right now, as you and I just said, you have a candidate who's extremely weak, looks eminently beatable in Joe Biden, and therefore, yes, I would take someone who's not in decline, who's got more of a killer instinct, who seems to know what's going on, who could operate a computer. And I just think Yes, there will be a lot of blame game go around. I think it's outrageous that after 2016, where they ran Hillary Clinton, uh, the party comes back and runs Hillary Clinton 2.0 and then attacks the left, saying the left is unelectable, which seems weird. Can you imagine if Bernie had been the candidate in 2016 and then had lost to Trump? You and I would have been told to shut up forever and no left wing would even be allowed to run. They'd never been considered. And yet this time around, yet again, you know, if the Martian landed on Earth, they would wonder what on Earth is going on here. How are you? How are you? How have you learned so few lessons from 2016 that you can run such a similar candidate, similar cam campaign again? It's, it's bizarre, beyond bizarre. What I would say, though, and this might be an unpopular view for some of your viewers, is that if it is a very narrow win by Donald Trump in 2016, if we see again, you know, what was it 77,000 votes in three states? which put him in the Oval Office, then yes, I, someone like me would say, everyone needs to take responsibility for that. Yes, the Democrats run a bad candidate. Yes, they may have run a bad campaign. But you know what? You can't just shirk your own responsibility as a voter. You may loathe Joe Biden. You may loathe Hillary Clinton. But you still have to make a choice. Ultimately, elections are not about your own feelings and how you feel. It's about whether you want your country to be a better place or a worse place. And you have to make decisions based on that. And I think everyone needs to be focused on, this is my personal view, getting rid of Donald Trump in November, who is an existential threat to American democracy in a way that no politician has been in, our, in modern American history as far back as I can remember. Yeah, I hear you, Mehdi. But no, uh, the responsibility is 100 percent. On no. the Democratic Party. You and I so, disagree on that. People uh, no, have individual on. responsibility as well. Hold as on, hold on, concern. hold on, hold on. No, no, no. Let me finish the thought. Uh, I am going to vote uh, against Donald Trump, no matter what. I am. That's clear. And I'm going to make the case to vote against Donald Trump, no matter what, for the credible yeah. candidate against Donald Trump. But Anna made a devastating point on the show today, which is... Um, she thinks that the uh, sexual assault allegations against Biden are very credible. And so now you're asking, she says, you're asking me, a woman, to vote for someone who I think committed sexual assault. So thank you for putting me in this impossible situation. So if, if, I, 
if I and a lot of folks don't vote for Biden uh, because we can't stomach it, uh, it's not our fault. It's the fault of the Democratic Party that thrust this awful candidate on us. No doubt. And I'm not excusing the Democratic Party for thrusting it. And it's not the party. It's also primary voters who made the mistake of choosing Biden as the electable person. Just on the sexual assault charge, let me just allegation. Let me just say this. Uh, you and I just mo mentioned this a moment ago. Should Bernie stay in or out? It's interesting that Bernie said not a word about this. If you're going to stay in and say you don't want Joe Biden to be the candidate, you need to reckon with this. Because once Bernie endorses Joe Biden, as he will, as he did with Hillary Clinton in 2016, people are going to ask him what he thinks about these allegations. He's not going to be able to stay silent. And it's madness that the Democratic Party are not prosecuting this now and not examining this now. Because you think Donald Trump's not going to bring this up in the general election? Whether you think Tara Reid's allegations are credible or not, and I'm no one to judge whether they're credible or not, the point is that it is going to be an issue come the general election. Having said that, I would say, in response to Anna's point, unfortunately, liberals, progressives, Democrats, whatever you want to call it, across the world, have voted for men with horrible records in recent years. Bill Clinton was accused of rape, accused of all sorts of... Many people lined up and re-elected him as president. John F. Kennedy had all sorts of allegations against him. So, um, unfortunately, uh, I mean, the reason they're called lesser of two evils, Jenk, is because they're both evil. Yeah. So look at the horrible situation we're in now. Congratulations, Democratic Party. Well played as usual. Uh, so, look, I don't even want... If we got into, was it the voters' fault or not, we'd never get out of it. The reality is they, those voters, they got brainwashed. Uh, the older voters, totally, utterly brainwashed by the mainstream media. Uh, Biden's electable, Biden's electable. You have to vote with really, for the guy that can't finish a sentence. Vote for the guy who can't finish his sentence. Of course, they don't say that. They covered up, they covered up, they covered up. Anyway, uh, if if I had the information of a low-information voter um I, I might vote for Biden because you don't really have the real information at your fingertips. You have only what the media told you. And you have, I mean, uh, to be fair, you also have your own fond memories or slightly uh, kind of nostalgic memories of whatever you thought the Obama-Biden administration was and the upsides of that administration, of course. He also trades off a lot on that. Yeah, I, I got you. All right, let's go on to your story because it's really important. Uh, so, uh, is the Trump team trying to start a war with Iran, uh, while we're all, uh, worried about coronavirus or is that overstating it? Uh, unfortunately, no, it's not overstating it. And you don't have to take it from me. As I point out in the piece, uh, the New York times got hold of a memo that was written, uh, by the top U S general on the ground, Robert White, uh, in Iraq. He's the commanding officer of American forces working in the anti-ISIS coalition in Iraq. And he's written in a memo back to the Pentagon saying, if you keep telling me and my men to divert from our mission of fighting ISIS in Iraq and to go after these quote-unquote Iranian-backed militias, these, uh, these uh, anti-ISIS militias that were backed by Iran, if we pick a fight with them right now, that is going to lead to war between Iran and the United States. A very tough, blunt memo written by the top commanding officer. And this is Mike Pompeo in D.C., Secretary of State. This is Robert O'Brien, National Security Advisor. And the Times says, based on their conversations with people in the administration, that these two men have been pushing not just for conflict with Iranian-backed militias, but with Iran on the basis that Iran's diverted by a pandemic right now. So let's take advantage of that. Think what a sick mindset you have to have to look at people dying in Iran. Iran is one of the worst hit cases uh, when it comes to COVID-19 globally, certainly in the Middle East. Uh, you know, an Iranian dying every 10 minutes, I believe, was the last stat I looked at. Thousands dead so far, tens of thousands uh, diagnosed with the disease. Imagine looking at that situation and saying, 
Not saying, you know what, let's do all we can to help our fellow human beings, regardless of our political differences, but saying, no, now's a good time for a war. Oh, and by the way, we're going to put a new round of sanctions on you too, which Pompeo did a couple of weeks ago. As I said in an earlier piece on the subject of Iran, it's almost as if we're governed by sociopaths here in the United States. Yeah, you know, uh, in one of your pieces, because you wrote a couple, uh, you reminded me of uh, something that is now looking back at it looks sounds a little remarkable. Back then, it was actually fairly commonplace, but in the Trump era of viciousness, uh, it yeah. seems unthinkable. R remind us what happened in 2003 when there was an earthquake in Iran. Yeah, so there was an earthquake in Bamiyan in Iran. Some of your viewers may remember it was a vicious earthquake. Uh, tens of thousands of people died. And at that time, I think it was uh, December, it was the end of the year, and just over New Year, George W. Bush was president of the United States. He had given his axis of evil speech. He had uh, invaded Iraq. The Iranians were on the defensive at the time. And yet, Bush and his administration suspended the sanctions that they had on Iran. Sanctions on Iran go back a long way under different administrations of different parties. They suspended their sanctions and sent actual planes, cargo planes, military cargo planes, with supplies, with American doctors and personnel on board to Iran to help with the relief effort. It was the first time I believe American planes had landed in Iran since the revolution in 1979. And that was George W. Bush, a, a deeply vicious, deeply racist, warmongering president, you know, uh, supported by a soulless vice president in Dick Cheney. And yet even Bush Cheney said, hold on, there's an earthquake. Innocent people are dying. This is irrelevant to geopolitics. We can help them out and still hate them and still, you know, demonize them and, and warmonger against them later. The Trump administration takes this disaster in Iran, another disaster, another humanitarian crisis, and says, behind the scenes, they say, let's ratchet up a conflict while they're distracted. And publicly, they say, you know what, we're going to put more sanctions on you. Imagine, it's bad enough that they have sanctions. People like Representative Ilhan Omar and other more progressive members of Congress have said, you need to suspend, suspend all these sanctions right now. Pompeo and co go the other direction. They say, no, 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 we're not only not going to suspend them, we're going to bring in new sanctions in the middle of the worst health cri public health crisis in, in modern history. Uh, it beggars belief. It's amazing. And, you know, you go back to your point about low information voters and Joe Biden. Think about low information voters in U.S. foreign policy. The only way elites in this country can get away with the shit that they do around the world is because people have no clue, don't follow it, don't understand it, don't read about it, don't get told about it. I refuse to believe that the majority of Americans in this country would be, including rep many Republicans, I would argue, would be okay if they discovered what the government is doing in their name to Iranian women and children, to Iranian doctors who can't get equipment or face masks or gowns, not because there's a shortage like there is here, but because the United States government is blocking other countries from supplying it to Iran. It's outrageous. Look, there are so many things that the uh, actual people wouldn't be in favor of if they knew it. Um, someone, uh, you know, credible reporting says it might've been the government of Israel. Uh, assassinated uh, Iranian physicist in front of his kids as he was picking them up from kindergarten. Um, and just because he was one of the top physicists in, in Iran. Okay, is that what we do? Is that is that a great ally of ours? Uh, we don't know for sure that it was Israel, uh, but whoever did it is monstrous. But we hide the things that go bump in the night if it's on our side. Look, and you're right at this cross party. Um, Obama uh, executed American citizens abroad without any judicial process, and the establishment uh, gave him a standing ovation for it. Now, again, there are different layers and different levels, and Trump is, yep. of course, more monstrous 
than even Dick Cheney, as you point out. So in this case, the top commander in the in Iraq, our commander, is warning about it. So Mehdi, tell us if they do go down this path of of more conflict and war, yes. what form would it take? So that's a great question. And people have been arguing about this for a while. What would an American-Iran war look like? Because it's been on the table for so long, since the early 2000s. Uh, there have been war games. There have been scenarios put out by Pentagon war planners, by various think tanks in D.C. and across the world. And none of them are good. None of them come out with any kind of positive ending. You'd be surprised and shocked to discover, uh, Jake. They all end disastrously in some shape or form, either for the Americans or for Iranian civilians or both. Um, and there are levels because the, the here's what's interesting. The Hawks in D.C., John Bolton and co. and others have always said you can do limited targeted strikes on Iranian nuclear facilities and it'll be fine. They won't respond. On the <laughs> other hand, they tell us that Iran can't have nuclear weapons because they're run by crazy suicidal fanatics. You can't have it both ways. Either they're run by crazy suicidal fanatics, in which case, if you attack them, they will go crazy and attack you back or. They're rational actors, in which case, why are you attacking them in the first place? So it's very bizarre, the contradiction that's presented. In terms of the ground war, what's going on right now, what, what O'Brien and Pompeo are pushing for are attacks on uh, Iranian-backed militia groups in Iraq, because these groups have been ratcheting up their attacks on U.S. personnel in Iraq. Now, here's what's interesting, Jay. As you point out, people don't follow the news. You know, it's always, it's always um, year zero. It's always day one. These attacks, so these attacks by the militias on the Americans are not the beginning either, because then you go back to New Year's. What happened at New Year's? Trump and co. assassinated not just a top Iranian general, Qasem Soleimani, and risked a war then. They also killed a commander of the Iranian-backed militias in Iraq who was with Soleimani in that convoy. So, of course, those attacks were supposed to be, what were they? Acts of deterrence. The Trump administration told us, we did this to establish a deterrent effect. Of course, it had no deterrent. It did the opposite. Like every time the Americans carry out a strike abroad, there's always blowback. The opposite was that these militias obviously are now attacking American soldiers in greater numbers. So what's fascinating is the Trump administration talks about maximum pressure. The problem with maximum pressure is that A, it doesn't work, but not only does it not work, the response is always to go up, is always to escalate, not de-escalate. So we kill one of yours, you kill two of mine, we kill three of yours, you kill one of our top people, we kill your general. Where does it end? As you say, it could end in a full-scale confrontation between these two sides. What would that look like? Well, most uh, military experts say that would make Iraq and Afghanistan look like a walk in the park. Iran is not Iraq. It has much more advanced defense systems. It has proxy groups throughout the world that are ready to attack its opponents on its behalf. It could send, I would say, send the global economy down the toilet, but the global economy is already going down the toilet. So imagine if you get oil and gas prices shooting up even more in this current coronavirus moment. So on every level, economic, political, humanitarian, a war with Iran would be a disaster. And that's why, it's, that's why I wrote the piece, because the idea that O'Brien and Pompeo egged on by Bolton on Twitter, we can just, you know, oh, we just kill a few more militia leaders in Iraq. It'll be fine. It won't lead to World War Three. That kind of complacency is deeply disingenuous and deeply dangerous. In a movie, if you had someone saying, hey, you know, this country's in a lot of trouble, our adversary here, because they're uh, beset by a pandemic, it's a humanitarian crisis, you got people dying left and right, so let's do a sneak attack at, at, uh, on them while they're weak. That person in the movie is not the good guy. That no, person is the he villain. would be the evil super villain. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So that's the situation we're in. Everybody check out Mehdi Hassan's uh, writings at The Intercept. Uh, also check out his podcast, Deconstructed, and, of course, his show on Al Jazeera English up front. 
Uh, Mehdi, thank you for joining us. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jake.